When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, this is Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's show, I'm interviewing therapist and addiction counselor, Dwayne Osterland. Me and my wife, we, we lost our first child. She was with us for, you know, one week mm -hmm. and then she didn't make it. And I, I think, you know, once again, having that resilience to walk through that piece and that grief, I remember at that time thinking it was not survivable. Like I didn't know how I would live, how I, how could we walk through that and why was life so um, unfair and her grief yeah my grief informs my life because it tells me what's valuable yes it tells me what's important and that was her gift to the world and the other people who briefly knew her too Dwayne Osterland is a licensed marriage and family therapist and a certified sex addiction therapist and host of the podcast the Addicted Mind. Today, we sit down to discuss grief, loss, addiction, and recognizing when to seek help. Dwayne, I'm so happy to be with you today and finally have you on Emotional Badass. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. Nikki, I'm a huge fan of your work too. So I'm kind of a little bit starstruck actually <laughs> because Aww. I look up to you a lot and I look up uh, uh, look up to you and a lot of the work you do, um, I follow. So it's exciting to be here. Well, that is making me blush a little bit because I, I look up to you and I'm very, I've been truly impressed with you as a man, as a therapist, as an entrepreneur, um, as a father. So I'm really excited to be able to share you with this audience. You are a therapist like me. We share specialties. You are the host of the Addicted Mind podcast. Addiction is one of my specialties. This is really, I think, where we sort of come together. And I think we are both big supporters of building resiliency within ourselves yeah. and within the people that we work with. And I want to know about how you have gotten all the way to here. What has been your journey to get to be this type of giver, space holder, healer, expert? 
Um, wow, that's a that's a that's a big question. I think um, some patience, and <laughs> you know, sometimes these things come upon us not of our choice. And uh, we have to decide in that moment what we're going to do with them. Um, I think I was also very, very lucky in that as a young person, um, I went into rehab when I was 17 years old. And I was struggling with alcohol, depression, suicidality. Um, a, lot of, a lot of stuff was going on. And um, I was lucky enough to have some supportive people around me that got me into treatment and got me some support. And I think from there, I, I was able to have an early experience uh, of seeing what help is, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't, re I didn't really become a therapist till later in, in life, you know, in my, in my mid thirties. Um, but that early experience of being in rehab, being vulnerable, sharing your story, um, being able to get professional help set the stage for that for later in my life to be able to survive some of the things that have come along the way. And so I think that's that's part of it. And that's kind of what got me into um, therapy in the first place, into doing this. I think help is a big deal. You know, help is one of those words we throw around, kind of like the word good. I think we don't really know what good, solid help and support is. We were like, oh, I know I need help, but we don't really know what that means. So yeah. I, I think until we experience what's truly helpful in terms of our mental health, in terms of stabilizing us, in terms of someone out there really getting what is going on with us and helping us find a compass so that we can go forward instead of spinning out of control, there's so much out there in the world that markets itself as help, but it may not feel helpful. It's it's one of my sayings that help actually feels helpful. And if we're getting help that doesn't feel helpful, it sure makes me feel crazy. I can't yeah, I can't figure absolutely. out what's going on if I'm getting help that isn't helpful. So I do understand what you mean by yeah, I got I got good help, like solid help. It's it's just one of those things that's really hard to put into words. And it does make a huge impact when we get effective help. So that happens when you were 17. Tell me a little bit more about your story. Anything you want to share? Yeah, certainly. So, you know, back at that age, when you're in that kind of teenage angst and everything seems so huge at that time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I look back now with some of my other experiences and realize from an adult perspective, oh, you know, those problems were manageable, but at the time they felt huge. At the time they were big and there were enough people there to be able to support me through that process. And I think it's set the stage to have more introspection, to really look at myself. Um, I was exposed to the 12-step process at that time that definitely asked you to look inward and to look at yourself, to understand uh, what's going on, what's driving this behavior, what's driving these actions, and what am I going to, to do about that to be able to make those changes? So I think that was part of it. And then, um, you know, as I went through my life, I kind of put that aside for a while. And then um, I, I uh, went off to university. 
I studied uh, film and, and television, and I was really into the entertainment industry. And I was a camera assistant, although I don't think I was a very good camera assistant. But um, it was it was you know I I went into that field and and really enjoyed that. And a lot of that um, stuff kind of went on the back burner until I had a moment where I. I could tell I wasn't really happy in what I was doing. I didn't really enjoy it. It wasn't really connecting to me. And I happened to be working on, I think it was some kind of music video. And and I tripped over some cable and broke my leg and I wasn't able to work. And thank goodness um, the production had disability insurance <laughs> and I was able to to pay my bills. But during that time, I wasn't one to like sit down and not really do anything. And the calling came back to look uh, inward, but uh, the interesting thing is I think sometimes as many of us therapists are, you know, we want to look inward, but we don't want to look inward. So we go get a degree in psychology <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, we don't really want to go there. So at that time, um, you know, I was on disability and, and uh, I, I was able to get into a, a program and I said, oh, I'll just check it out, right? I'll just, yeah. I'll, I'll look at it and see if I want to do it. And I met this man, his name was Vince. He's, he's no longer with us, but he had, he was the dean of the department at the time of where I was going. And he had a conversation with me. He just sat down for like 30 minutes and, and talked to me. And I said, you know, I'm kind of interested in this field. I don't know, maybe I want to do this. And, and um, he said, you know what? I'll tell you what. I have a class starting this weekend. It's six weeks. I had six weeks of disability insurance, so I could not work. And I was healing, hobbling along on my broken leg. And he says, I'll let you into that class. And so, you know, I said, okay, I'll do it. I said, I'll check this out. And I went in and I fell in love with it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my calling, right? This is what I need to do. But, you know, you still got one foot in the other door of, you know, I invested a decade of my life working in the entertainment industry and and going from, you know, job to job to job and and doing that. And, and then, yeah, I had this other love. And eventually over time, as I started to pursue this career, I just said, I got to leave that other one behind and do this. And and I love it. It's It's my calling. And I think my early experience I had when I was uh, young, um, you know, 17 and having that experience and going through that process uh, helped me understand what it's like to, to be a client, mm -hmm. to, to be someone who needs help and needs support and is desperate and is in all that pain, regardless of where it is or, or you know, how, how maybe outside others might look at it, that all pain is valuable. All pain is important to be looked at and understood. And we have to have compassion for that. And I just kept going from there. And, uh, and and I've just, I've, I've loved this process and it's been important to me. You know, I think I also had this and you you probably would understand this as well. I mean, as therapists, I mean, we do this work for others, but in many ways, like I was saying earlier, we do it for ourselves because we mm -hmm. want to understand ourselves on a deeper level. There was something that still needed to be worked on and understood and, and walked through and, um, you know, when we do this degree, we, we, you know, you, you can't help but do this work and also look at yourself at the same time.
I mean, it's hard not to. Maybe some people can, but yeah, I think I do. Th- I have met people who I think went through the schooling and didn't really do the work. It didn't yeah. didn't penetrate their armor. I think the the most effective therapists are the ones who have really looked at their old their own dark nights of the soul, because the the yeah. compassion of that when you have been just down in the depths, when you have been more desperate than what can be described in words, to come back from that, I think leaves a huge empathy for the human condition. And we know that having just someone sort of steer us or or help us find that compass that we need when we're lost and spinning out of control. For me in my life, those those people or those moments, I I went into the hospital when I was 23, having what the public calls a nervous breakdown. And it was the same. It was it was like I felt held and I felt seen. And I know that that saved my life. Yeah. In that moment. And to be able to, oh, it'll make me cry, to be able to give that to, to someone else to, to share from, from that deep human experience, I think it it transcends our educations. It it really, really does. And it it brings together heart and mind and and spirit. And I think that's why so many people are are hungry for peace and, and are hurting and lost. We we need so much guidance, I think, in this modern life. I think more than we needed in previous generations. And as AI gets weirder and weirder, like we keep getting messages with people asking if I'm real because we've been yeah. doing more social media stuff. They think I'm AI. I think that's terrifying. We are going to really need to sort of have other humans that we can connect with on this journey. And you are part of that for the people that work with you. Now, Thank you. I, I was going to say too, when you talked about dark night of the soul, right? We need to be able to have that safe space mm-hmm. to be able to look at that part of ourselves because yes. um, if, if we can't, we can't grow. Yes. We can't move forward. We can't move through it. And uh, it's it can be terrifying to look there, right? Mm-hmm. It can be terrifying to see that. But if we're willing to do it, if we're willing to take that chance, and maybe we have some people around us that can support us through that process or find those people, right? Find them. Mm-hmm. We can uh, transcend that pain and that hurt and build that resilience that comes on the other side of that process. And um, once we go there and we have that resilience, then we can, you know, we can move through our life with that deeper sense of integrity and, and purpose because no longer is fear driving the bus. Not that fear isn't there. I don't, I don't want to say like, oh, I, I don't have any fear or I don't have any anxiety or that's just not true, but it still gives me a, a clearer purpose of where I'm going and, and what I, I want to do and how do we survive hard things when they show up and life yes. will continue to show up anyway. Yes. That's beautiful. And, and using fear, you know, I think that's something we've missed out on in, in educations that we get to use the, the uncomfortable experiences. There are yeah. ways to smartly and wisely use those experiences. And I think in the absence of a lot of that education and not just education, like read these facts from a book, education, like human beings sharing what they've overcome so that you can have more courage to face your fears about what you face overcoming. 
I don't ever want to let fear make the decisions in my life. If somebody's chasing me with a hammer, I want to let fear make my decisions. Yeah, absolutely. But in terms of thinking through the, the intentional decisions of my life, I don't want to give fear that much power. I want to work with it and see what it has to, to teach me and, and to show me um, to grow. And I think by facing my own dark nights of the soul, my, my own intensity, really, it helps me sit with other people in a way that I find is really parental for their inner child to be able to hold the space and go, no, I've seen this before. I know it feels like your intensity is going to kill you. It's not. It's okay. I'm not yeah, scared by your okay. intensity. Yeah, you're going to be okay. You can feel this intensely and it's okay. It, this intensity doesn't make you crazy. It's okay. You can face this. And I do think that in the human condition, we need each other that way to just expect ourselves to go out into the world to face all the hard things that we can face over the course of a life and never have other adults who have a different wisdom, a different skill set in that moment, reach out a hand and go, no, it's okay. Follow me. Come this way. Look, look, you can walk. You've got nope. this. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask them all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? Well, we hear you and we have been there too. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. Who are we? I'm Dr. Jess Steyer, a public health scientist and also co-host of the Unbiased Science podcast. Every day, I'll chat with one or both of your new pediatrician besties, Dr. Dina DiMaggio, a general pediatrician, and Dr. Anthony Porto, a pediatric gastroenterologist. We'll talk about all the things related to our kids' health, from dealing with a colicky infant to navigating puberty in the teenage years. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, now live on all podcast platforms. Yeah, I would say I could have not survived myself mm -hmm. without other people around me yeah. to help me through that process. And not, you know, different people show up at different times mm -hmm. in our life if we're open to that. Now, not everybody is trustworthy and we have to be careful and have discernment too. Yeah. But, you know, we, you know, we have the saying is that we heal through the eyes of others. We need mm -hmm. other people in our life to help us heal ourselves. Right. We need other people to help mirror back, like you were saying earlier. Mm -hmm you know, being that inner child. And sometimes we can do that for other people. And then we need other people to do that for us. And yes. we give that back and forth. And I think when we have that too, kind of going back to that idea of resilience, um, it helps us build that piece too. It helps us to be able to survive these really hard things that show up in life that, that come along unexpectedly and, um, you know, are just hard, hard painful. You have had happen to you what I think most people would say is the hardest thing to survive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to, you know, I, I even talked about this a lot. It's it's open and you know, people hear about it, but you know, we me and my wife, we we lost our first child. 
and um, being a parent to lose a child. Um, uh, she was with us for, um, you know, w- one week, mm-hmm. and then she didn't make it. And um, and I, I think, you know, once again, having that resilience to walk through that piece and that grief, I remember at that time thinking it was not survivable. Like I didn't know how I would live. Um, how I how could we walk through that? And why was life so um unfair? Yeah. You know, like it's just not fair. Yeah. Um, but once again, I think, you know, going through that experience and and, and coming out the other side being able to lean on other people through through that experience was um once again the only way we we were able to survive it gave us the resilience to walk through that experience because i think that kind of grief especially infant loss right yeah um is 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 so incredibly lonely because no one no one really knew our child because yeah. our child was only there for a week Everybody knew of our child. Yes. But no one knew our child. So you walk through this grief uh, alone. But I'll I'll never forget, and I don't know how um, this woman was able to do it. She was a chaplain at the hospital. And this was what she did. She helped parents who lose their children. I don't know how you do that as... as, as It's one of those angel people. One of those angel people, Mm -hmm. yeah. She was amazing. And... um, But she also allowed us to get with a group of other parents who had also lost their children. Mm-hmm. And we walked through that experience together um, for several years, actually. Mm-hmm. And these people are so close to me now. We, we, we are part of something that none of us wanted to be a part of, but here we are. And we walked through this grief, um, holding each other through it. And, um, and now I feel like it was a gift. This experience was a gift. Like our child maybe came into this world for us. (laughs) I know that sounds kind of weird, but she gave us an incredible gift because we realized like life is so fragile. Yeah. And precious. It's precious and it's it's fragile. And she helped me see that on such a deep level. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, it brought me to the present even more. And mm-hmm. some of the things that I'm I was afraid of before, they just don't matter. So it's it refined that pain refined. Yeah, it's like, like your character you know, things, and your value, those your value system matter. in the world. Yeah, those things just don't matter because life is so fragile, and and it brings you to the present. And but I want to say something else. That's something that had to be nurtured and mm-hmm. grown. It's not something that I easily came to. It's something that I had to pursue. I had yes. to work on it. I had to 
put in the effort. And I, I remember there was a moment where I said, her life can, her life cannot be for nothing. Right. And it's, I, I have to live a good life. Yes. I have to. I had no other choice in that moment. Otherwise, it would have consumed me, I think. Well, I think that was the choice to either yeah. be consumed or to force. Because I, I think that's one of the things in grief we don't say as therapists a lot, that it is a forcing ourselves forward. A f it's not just, you don't yeah. just wake up one day and want to. You don't want to. You want to just stop everything and stay in bed, lay down on the ground and sort of just bury yourself and give up. And we have to refuse that invitation that pain yes. offers us if we are to have good lives. And when we lose someone, when something is so just absurdly unfair, unthinkably yeah. unfair, for you to be able to make that choice when those painful forces are pulling you to just give up. I think it's one of the most important moments of life. It's one of the most important things to understand that that is a choice moment. And we don't make that lightly, that kind of choice. We make that choice screaming and crying and raging and hurting. It's not available to find the silver lining or to find the post-traumatic growth on just until it is. It's not available in those first moments. No. And you have to go through to the other side. And in, yeah. in the last few years, we've given so much consideration to listening to feelings and valuing feelings. This is where our feelings are bullshit. If our feelings are pulling us to give up on our own lives because we lost another life, that is wrong. But our feelings will pull us into that thinking. And if we overvalue our pain, it can pull us into suicidal action. So we have to use that pain and choose very wisely when we are in pain. And I'm going to say too, you know, in the first year of this, it's kind of a blur in a way, but I had to make that choice again and again and again and again. And, but I, I guess there was a part of me that knew there was something more. And I think that goes back to that early experience of being in, in a, in, in a rehab, sitting in a group with other people who are suffering and who have pain and who have also worked to transcend that pain too. Mm -hmm. I think kind of coming around, I knew in a certain way that there was something more Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it's hard to trust in that. It's it's hard to scary uh, to trust. Scary in. to trust in that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like it's just easier to to give up, I guess. But um there's just there is more to the other side. And um, you know, going through that experience has helped me be the person I am today to be able to give back even more. And, you know, um, this, the, she would be uh, about 15 years old now. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder, like, what would she be like? 
Yeah, of course you do. Of course you do. I think when we lose someone, there's so much healing available and we will always, always miss them. We will. And that's okay. It is. It is. Beneath the hurt, it's quite beautiful to always have them tucked, have her tucked in your heart that way. And her grief. Yeah. My grief informs my life because it tells me what's valuable. Yes. It tells me what's important. And that was her gift to the world and the other people who briefly knew her too. You know, it's like, oh, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I'm, but it's taken a long time to get there, right? It, it takes time to get yes. there. And yeah. anybody out there who's struggling, this is where I want to give back, right? Anybody out there who's struggling, you know, hurting and in pain. I mean, it takes time, but there's another side to it. There's something else out there. And you've, you, you've got to have the courage, you know, summon the courage. It's there. Know that other people have walked this path too. Mm-hmm. Call on those people. Um and and move forward because life is worth it it's there is something to the other side and i i know that for some people when they're in a lot of pain they can hear that statement and dismiss it mm-hmm. and easily just say that's just not true um it's just the way you've had to deal with your grief but it's worth it it's it's well we're both trauma therapists i yeah I think this would be easier to accept if we were taught this when we were younger. Life really does have this seasonal quality. But yeah. when we're when we're in whatever season, like the peak of summer, it can feel like it's never going to shift, right? At the peak of winter, it can feel like it is just going to be snow forever. Part of resiliency is understanding that about our psychology, uh, that about our humanness and Dwayne, tell me if you agree, but as a trauma therapist, that's part of the gift that my clients have given me. I can know in my head all day long that, yes, we get to the other side and we move through and life is seasonal. But to be with so many people over these almost two decades I've been doing this and realize everything is a season, the worst things we don't think we can overcome is still, it's still seasonal. And it is our job as human beings, even if nobody tells us this, to get to that next season. Because how it's going to be in that next season, we can't fathom from the season we're in. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. You know, the gift we get of being being in the helping profession is seeing transcendence, mm-hmm. not just in ourselves, but in other people. Yes. And it's such a, a reason to celebrate. It, it confirms to ourselves that it's there. And sometimes we need to hear that, even though we know all this work. Like you said, we know yep. it all. We all know it in our head, but mm-hmm. it's different to know it in our heart, to know it in our body. And it's, I, I think it's one of the, it's, it's what I love doing in this, in this profession is, is seeing people get out of that season and get into the next experience of their life. I, I, I love that process. And I, I definitely totally see that too. One of the things that has impressed me about you so much is that 
you and your wife have stayed together through that loss. Yeah. Could you say a little bit about that with keeping her story confidential for her? Because I know that one of the statistics is that it, it really tears people apart to lose a child. Many people do not survive it as a, as a couple. Yeah, I, I think um, you're right. A lot of couples, even in, in the people that we walk through, uh, didn't stay together. And I don't want to share her story because that's her story and her piece. But, um, you know, I think both of us, um, we, as part of this loss, committed to each other to to walk through it together and to i think for me what i had to appreciate is um we each grieve differently and that the way i'm going to grieve is going to be different than the way she's going to grieve and also just understanding you know the the trauma that a mother 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 has is different from a father's trauma mm -hmm. and walking through that process together and you know it, that that was it was hard it was hard we both had to be really really patient with each other and um realize that we're both going to do this differently and even in even in today you know um this is still part of our 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 life. Um, we're blessed to have uh, more kids in our life, more children. We're so blessed to be able to to walk through through that together. And this is something that everybody knows that we talk about openly, and we made that commitment because it was in the beginning uncomfortable to to talk about, to be open about it, and to uh, you know. No one know how. No one knew how to respond. I mean, what do you say to someone who's lost a child? It's it's just no words. Yeah. So people are awkward about it. People don't know what to say, what to do. Yeah, they're scared to, to set you that. off. They're scared to hurt you. So most people will say nothing, yeah. which then creates its so, own hurt. Yeah, we made a commitment together to talk about it and make it open. We have uh, pictures of our daughter in our house she's part of our family even though uh, she's not here with us um and I, I think that was part of it and and both of us just committing to that process together and and uh you know working through it and being really incredibly patient with each other um as we did that when i hear you share that i want to highlight because i i know somebody is out there listening and they're a couple and they've been through something just horrendously hurtful. That commitment, when I hear you say that, really says to me, we are committed to each other and getting through, which means despite how we feel moment to moment, that commitment is our touchstone. Because yes. grieving differently, what that winds up meaning, y'all, is one person wants to celebrate and go, oh my goodness, let's celebrate. The other person's like, that's the last thing I want to do right now. F you. And that that's how going through grief together is so sticky and tricky. And if we can learn 
that we have a lot of power to give ourselves and anyone we love, any we, anyone we're in a relationship with, a commitment with, if we can radically accept that we're going to be in wildly different places with our grief at different times, then we don't have to make the other person wrong or bad when they're in a different place in their grief. And that that's a really big deal, y'all. That's a little nugget that I, that so many people miss when they are in pain is to allow other people to be in their pain. And part of that is letting the other person live and laugh and, and be light in the moments where that's the last thing you want for you. Yeah. And I, I think where, what helped us with that a lot is being part of a support group of other couples that had lost a child too, like an infant, infant loss. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so we could really learn from each other mm -hmm. and grow through it together and be open to see that it just, you know, this is our dynamic, but we can also see simil similarities in this other couple and normalizing it that this is part of the process and that we aren't uh, alone in this either. I, I think that was really critical for us as well. To be able to do that and the couples that walk through us um most of those couples stay together too there were a couple core wow. group of us that we would connect and we still connect and we connect every year and we talk about our our loss you know um and uh you know we go through it together and even on anniversaries even though it's 15 years later we still talk to each other about it and and I think that was really helpful in that process too, because I couldn't hold all of my partner's grief mm -hmm. and she couldn't hold all of my grief, right? I couldn't be everything for my partner and my partner couldn't be everything for me too. So it's realizing, I think we need other people in our lives. And I think that also goes back to resilience, right? We surround ourselves with uh, people that can, can help us and we can help them and, and, um, move through this life because it's hard life is yes i've had this loss but there's other losses out there too that are hard at a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm think clearly and maintain our well-being Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment. Yeah. yeah, we really need each other as people. Yeah. We really do. Even even the most independent of us, we really, really need each other. You, I'm thinking of Johan Hari's book about addiction, his second, that the opposite of addiction is connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. heard you say how much connection, connection, connection was healing. I mean, we need connection like it is the missing nutrient in our in our modern lives. You also have a specialty in addiction. So like me, addiction and grief, do they kind of go together for you like peanut butter and jelly? 
Yeah, you know, addiction is about isolation, loneliness, shame. I I cannot get support. So the only way I'm going to support myself is with either some kind of substance that will change me or some kind of behavior that will change how I feel because there is no one else out there that can help me, right? There's no one else out there that can support me. And really, I, you know, we need community. I mean, it's the biggest thing I think we're missing in our world. Mm-hmm. I mean, we look at our kids today and um, they feel so disconnected. We are in a epidemic of loneliness. We're in an epidemic of isolation. Um, and um, we have to actively work to connect with each other. I think this is where many of these things come from. Addiction comes from that disconnection, um, comes from the, 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 you know, the, the trauma, but the inability to connect after that trauma has taken place, um, just keeps that process in, uh, keeps it going, I guess, over and over again, because we, we have, we, we are alone in it. And if we're alone in it, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to feel better because we can't stay in pain forever. It's too, it's too hard. It's too difficult. We'll find a way to escape. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I just look out at the world now and, you know, I think for men specifically, there's so much loneliness out there. Men are taught, at least my generation, you know, to be strong and powerful and to, um, you know, you just take everything you just dump it inside and you just pretend it doesn't exist. And you move on because that's what strong men do, right? And um, that just breeds more isolation and loneliness and disconnection. And boys we're in an epidemic men, of it. We are. Boys and men are struggling a lot right now. I think I said it on your show how important it was as a sexual abuse survivor. My father abandoned me. My adoptive father abused me. And to still be able to know how important it has been for me to be around and connected to safe men, yeah. men that are strong and men that are masculine and men that are brotherly to me and fatherly to me. And it, we really do need each other. And, and men need to know that they are valuable, that they can make mistakes, that they can be strong and vulnerable, that they can process their feelings, that they don't have to bury it. There's a lot going on. Colleges are the the, co- the college educated rate of men is down drastically. You know, yeah. th- there's so much going on for men, and addiction rates continue to soar. What is something you would like to say before we close up? I know you have to run. Oh gosh, you know, I mean, this is a this is this is a you know we we had a huge conversation here. I I, I think. You know, um, reach out to other people. There are other people out there. Nurture these relationships and go out and find them and create them. There are other people just like you that want to connect, that want to have this. And I can tell you in my own life, these are the connections that have enabled me to survive the hardships that have come along in this life is that 
I have taken the time to invest in these relationships with others. And especially as a man with other men who want to do the same thing and they're out there. So uh, find them and create, create that space for yourself. It's, it's worth it. It's scary. It's vulnerable, but there are so many uh, spaces out there that you can start that process, even if it's with a professional, right? At first, if that's the first uh, step you take to, to do that, maybe that's going to be the most secure spot where you can start to build that intimacy and that connection with another human being. And then from there, you can um, uh, find other places to, to, to grow that process or 12 step groups or other support groups. Um, go out there and and find it. It's worth it to get to the other side. It's worth it. It's the way in which you're going to transcend the, the the pain and suffering. Yes, well said, well said, sir. And I will I will add this for the little voice that I know that can creep up inside of our heads when we've been betrayed, when we've been let down, if we have abandonment wounding. I wish someone would have told me many years ago that I was going to have to risk again and again and again and again. This idea that we're going to move forward without risking something is not real. It's not available. You are going to have to risk again and again and again. And when it seems like, because I've had a lot of betrayal, when it seems like there are no good people out there, that's just fear. That's just yourself trying to pull inward because you feel so raw and hurt and frightened to actually invest and risk in someone else again. But y'all, there are 8 billion people out there on the planet, billions of people. And when you face the reality of that number, you can hear how ridiculous it is that any of us would try to convince ourselves that there isn't somebody out there we could talk to, or we could connect to, or that could help teach us something very important that we might need in any given moment. I'm so I'm glad I'm glad that you you brought that up. This does not come without the risk. Mm-hmm. And and but the risk is worth it. But you can do it with discernment. You can mm-hmm. do it a small piece at a time and slowly build that. But I I'm glad that you said that because it's easy to say go out and and, and just do this, but you have to be you have to be aware and yeah, there is the risk there. Yes. And most of of our risks won't, we won't die. We won't melt and die like the Wicked Witch of the West. Thank goodness. It'll hurt and it'll sting. And that's part of that resiliency bounce that we can cultivate and and own and and breathe life into for ourselves that that we're going to risk. And if, if we fail, we absolutely fail. If I get vulnerable and I risk and somebody just fails me, they give me the wrong kind of advice, they give me crappy vibes. Instead of pulling back within myself, that's one of those choice moments to go, well, okay, well, who might be a better person for me? Who might be a better match? And let me risk again instead of using that energy to pull back and solidify my aloneness, my fierce, radical, over-functioning independence that is just trying to make me not get hurt again. Yeah. And if you're a human being, you're, I've had all those experiences as well. So you're going to experience those and those are going to be hard and scary, but keep going forward. It's worth it. There's so much more on the other side when we have these connections. Yes. Our people are out there, y'all. Even when it doesn't feel like it, they're out there. They're looking for you too. Yep. Thank you so much, Dwayne. 
I can't wait to have you back in, in coming years. I would love to have you back. Thank you so much for sharing yourself with my audience. Oh, you're welcome, Nikki. Thank you for having me on. I love your work. I just love you as a human being. I see your passion to to give other it's just to give to other people and and I love connecting to it and it just means a lot to me. Thank you for being one of those amazing men in my life. Thank you. I'm so happy that Dwayne came on the show today and shared his story. You can find his podcast by searching for The Addicted Mind wherever you get your podcasts and at theaddictedmind.com. Emotional Badass is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, Light and Love. I'm an emotional badass. Dwayne is an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Light and Love, and I'll see you right here next time for a brand new episode. Bye-bye. find it hard to sleep at night then the sleep cove podcast can help you hi i'm christopher fitton the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind sleep cove sleep cove features sleep hypnosis meditations and bedtime stories all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep search for sleep cove on apple podcasts or spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.